Hello, I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch Podcast. You've undoubtedly heard the name George Soros, but what do you actually know about the man and his philosophy? Today, I'm joined by my Capital Research Center colleague, Shane Devine, who read and reviewed the left progressive billionaire's philosophical and political testament in defense of open society. First, Shane, your review is excellent and in-depth. If you could, just to frame this exercise, tell us why it's useful to try and understand someone like George Soros, who will be an adversary of most of the things conservatives and market libertarians believe in his own words and his own philosophy. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Well, I think Soros is particularly important because unlike many other billionaires and millionaires involved in progressive and left-wing politics, uh, Soros has created an empire out of his nonprofit work. What I mean by that is he, does, he doesn't like to put his money into a charity and just leave it like that. He wants to see where his money goes at every step of the way. And through his Open Society Foundation and his foundation to promote open society, two different groups, and all of their groups that exist under those umbrellas, uh, Soros has uh, created an apparatus that uh, sort of vertically integrates every step of the progressive political nonprofit model where he is funding all the way at the top and, and ensuring the money goes where he wants it to go all the way down to the activist at the bottom. And then why is it important to study his philosophy in his in his own words rather than, you know, I mean, we've all read some of the stories. They range from the plausible to the downright ridiculous, uh, but to, to get it to get it right. Well, I think Soros, uh, according to his book, uh, is particularly influenced by the philosopher Karl Popper. He, unlike other progressive leaders, he is really a reader, it seems. He really, truly, genuinely believes that Karl Popper's philosophy has not only shaped his entire political outlook, but also um, made him rich. He thinks that uh, Popper's theory of reflexivity has greatly helped him in the market as an investment banker, as a trader, so how does, et cetera. How does that reflexivity differ from the classical rational market theories that uh, tend to be held by conservatives and market libertarians? Right. Well, reflexivity comes from Popper, but Popper only used it in uh, epistemology when discussing uh, knowledge and theories of science. Yeah, epistemology is, is epistemology is the philosophy of how we know what we know. Right. So Soros took it out of that abstract realm and applied it to the economical and the political. Now, classical economic theory, you know, Adam Smith, Ricardo, and uh, the neoclassical economists of the 20th century who followed up with those theorists and are um, the backing of much conservative and libertarian policies in the present day, that whole tradition believes that the human is fundamentally a rational creature and that the economy is guided by an invisible hand, that things tend towards equilibrium, and even if things uh, look crazy in the day-to-day, eventually things sort themselves out. Now, reflexivity doubts that. Uh, very strongly. It believes humans are irrational and that the economy sort of reflects this irrationality and that we need to, as the leaders of society or the educated or the elite, we need to control and regulate this wild market. 
uh, we can't have trust in the system. We cannot believe that we cannot take a laissez-faire approach and allow it to reach the desired end. We need to take an active, practical approach to regulating and directing it towards what we want. But you, you draw a distinction in your review between the reflexivity of Soros and classical Marxism or Soviet-style Marxist-Leninism. Uh, could, could you elaborate on that? Sure. So Soros makes it quite clear that he does not like Marxism. He spent a lot of his life fighting communist societies. He even cites Popper at one point who said Marx is pseudoscientific. And so I think that's particularly important because in sort of comment section political discourse, a name that's a that's a good name for it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Names get thrown around such as, you know, Soros as uh, a communist and he he's a uh, wants a communist vision for society. I don't think that's quite right, and I think it's important to distinguish it. And the reason why is because Soros clearly is no stranger to capitalism and to markets. That's where he made all his money. And Soros's vision of the open society, as he calls it, a more common street name might be uh, globalism. But it's essentially the idea that you want an open world, open exchange of ideas and of people and of trade, but all this will be undergirded by market forces. Even though he wants to regulate the market, he still wants the market to exist. And he thinks that billionaires like himself play an important role in open societies by using the money that they've made to engage in philanthropic efforts and all that. But I think it's particularly well, important. Building because... off, and building off that, uh, we, could, we saw, you know, elaborate on how uh, after the fall of the Iron Curtain, George Soros put his theories of open society into practice in Eastern Europe. Right. Soros writes in his memoir that he opened up the Soviet countries and helped them integrate into the wider world. He, he writes about how his home country of Hungary had a university, the Karl Marx University, that was important for Soviet cultural control of the region and how he helped undermine the university. And in general, he wanted to break up the Soviet monocultural culture and introduce what he calls cultural pluralism into the mix. So now in recent years, what has been Soros's central activism? According to him in the book, he is very troubled by incarceration rates in the US. He wants to lower those. And to that end, he has teamed up with the ACLU in funding district attorney candidate races across the country. And, and this would basically change the legal and law enforcement policies on a local level to lower these rates. He is very keen on helping refugees globally. He spent $500 million in 2016 helping them assimilate into Europe. But mostly in the United States, he's concerned with helping Democratic candidates win elections. So far in 2020, he's spent over $20 million for the upcoming election, funding various progressive groups to ensure Biden wins the general come November. And then, so we, knowing what we know now about, about Soros on his own terms, the way he looks at the world, the way he looks at himself, uh, how can conservatives and market libertarians respond? In, in your opinion? Well, I think there's two ways. We can take him culturally or we can take him on economically. More uh, 
common good style conservatives or nationally minded conservatives will be more prone to attack him culturally and sort of argue that his his efforts to undermine monocultures or national identity in various regions of the world hurt rather than help and that his policies sure but surely there is an interest surely there is an interest in protecting minority rights and in protecting my, uh, both ethnic religious and uh and other social minorities position in society of course no doubt about that but such a perspective could argue that Soros is actually hurting minorities and and hurting religious and ethnic minorities by creating so much racial strife and so much religious strife in doing what he does. Uh, although you you can't go too far with this analysis un, unless you play into his hands basically and become the boogeyman that he wants to fight mm -hmm. against sort of thing, you know what I mean? Sure, sure. Um so that so that's one side of the attack or the offense back to him. The other side is um, economically. Nationalist skeptic conservatives and libertarians might want to go back to their Smith and their Hayek and try to argue for rationalist economics and what Soros writes off as the market fundamentalism of the... Uh, well, Soros, Soros isn't alone in that. I mean, you see people on the national conservative right talking about market fundamentalism, which, sure, right. you know, I don't know if it's ever so, been put into practice anywhere. <laughs> Right. And it's kind of strange in that way that um, national conservatives might find themselves agreeing with Soros's opinions on economics, whereas um, the more uh, libertarian folks on the conservative side might find themselves um, agreeing with his cultural ideas, uh, but disagreeing with him economically. So reading Soros on his own terms kind of makes him seem more like a more of a complex figure than you might imagine. And uh, he, he's more nuanced than what his um, activism might, might say. Well, Shane, we are out of time. Thank you for your research and coming on to give us quite a bit to digest. That's our show for this week. We encourage you to subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you next week.